a podcast. Did your radio show get canceled? Fire, fire, fire. Low down and filthy, but the discipline is on point. Schooled myself, made my own dojo. A cold flow with the whole dose of soul. Maintain composure, even in fury. An anomaly property. All right, so this weekend at 6 a.m., I'm driving to Lafayette, Indiana to go to an eight-year-old's gymnastics meet. That's a good time. I love my kids. That's why I do it. When I was a kid, I played youth travel sports. I played basketball. And by played basketball, it meant I sat on a bench and watched others play basketball. But good for them. Because they were Division One athletes. Me, Division Three. Does it matter? Yes, it does matter. And that's why we're talking youth travel sports here today on the Million Dollar Plan. I'm Pete the Planner. You can watch this entire episode if you wanted to at PeteThePlanner.tv. Uh, in order to have this discussion, I could just wax poetic about youth travel sports and the impact and all that. Or I could bring on someone who studies this for a living. Uh, he happens to be someone who played football at Purdue University. He also played professional football for the Cincinnati Bengals. His name is Dr. Travis Dorsch, and he is an assistant professor and founding director of the Families and Sport Lab in the Department of Family, Consumer, and Human Development at Utah State University. He joins us now via Skype. Travis, how long is your business card? Because that's a hell of a title. It is. It is a heck of a title. I uh, actually don't have business cards. Maybe I should uh, invest in those. Uh, do people still do that? I'm not sure. I don't know, but that's. Uh, uh, so you're the founding. Okay, so you're founding director of the Families and Sport Lab in the Department of Family, Consumer, and Human Development. So, you, so that's your your department, the Family, Consumer, and Human Development. You're not in the sports department or anything like that, right? Right. You know, we have a, a wide array of folks in, in the department. We're very interdisciplinary here. We have folks that study sibling relationships, uh, marriage and family therapy, family financial planning, which is right up your alley, uh, gerontology, which is the study of, of older adults. Uh, I won't go there with a joke, but uh, yeah, we have, we have people that study really the full range of development all the way from early, early infancy all the way through uh, death and dying. So a big part of what, what we do here at our offices is we try to help uh, people understand how our cultural spending habits have changed over time. And, and there are two that always stick out to us. We know that in the 1950s, new homes that were being built are, were one third of the size of homes being built today in 2017. But we also know family units were bigger in the 1950s. What we also know is that the focus on spending on your children, especially in youth travel sports, is through the roof compared to the 1950s and, and decades around there. Travis, so we talk about the financial impact here, but what you guys study is what are the psychological and sociological impact of, of sports on families? Help us understand what your work does and, and what you hope to accomplish with it. Well, that's a great question. It's a nice lead in. I, I think it's hard to tease the two apart when we talk about the, the psychological and the emotional experience of participating in youth sport. It's hard to sort of remove that or look at that in a vacuum aside from the family and the family's behavioral uh, habits. One of which is how much money they choose to spend on sports. Um, it's, it's much like anything else, and I'd be interested to know the data on sort of how much money per family was allocated or a percentage of income that was allocated towards leisure activities in the 50s and 60s. And I imagine that that amount is much like it is today. The difference today is that those leisure activities uh, really revolve around youth sport participation and, and elite youth sport participation in a number of families. And I think we're seeing this proliferation uh, of the professionalization of organized youth sports such that it's not just um, now it's it's very parent driven uh, it's very uh, 
uh, media focused. We see things like the Little League World Series on on television, uh, you know. So it's 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 a big time enterprise and it's an adult run enterprise. And sometimes I think what gets lost in that is why we do it at all. Uh, and that for most families is not to earn a college scholarship for their child or to to raise a professional athlete. Uh, but in, indeed, it's it's those same those same outcomes that we that we all talk about, you know, learning to uh, to have good teamwork skills, learning to play for different coaches and with different teammates, uh, improving your, your technical and physical skills and ability, uh, having fun. Right. It all comes down to that also. So, you know, I think one of the things that we study, if I take sort of the 40,000 foot view real quick, is it's just the impact of this involvement in youth sport on families, on children, on parents, on interactions between parents and children, on siblings, uh, and then also on, on some of these developmental out outcomes or assets that we'd like to see children uh, acquire over time through that participation. So, you know, we're very broad-based in what we do. Uh, we've, we've obviously had some narrower focuses on, on different studies, but we're really interested in sort of this, you think about a Venn diagram, uh, the child, the family and sport and how that comes together in the middle. That's sort of where our, our interest lies. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're going to spend the whole show on this today. It's a fascinating topic. Uh, not only did I grow up playing pretty high level sports, uh, turns out Travis, you played the highest level of sports and that's professional football. Um, if we may, can we go back into your youth sports career and, and, and try to understand where you come from based on your experiences there? Absolutely. You know, and I, I feel like I'm sort of the antithesis of some of the folks that I, I seek to study. And that is I had a great uh, youth sport experience. You know, I, I relive the memories fondly of my dad and my mom and I. And then later on, when my, my brother was born, my brother, you know, trucking around San Diego County as a youngster. And then when we moved to Montana, trucking around the entire state of Montana, um, participating in, in a wide range of sports. You know, I played it all growing up, soccer, basketball, football, baseball, uh, in high school, added uh, track and field to the mix, uh, and then was fortunate enough uh, to parlay those experiences and the, those positive experiences uh, into a college scholarship at Purdue. So, you know, sport, no doubt about it, sport can be a vehicle uh, for, for social change, for change within a family, for change for an individual. You know, the folks there listening in Indiana, I'm sure have been bombarded with the images of, of Biggie Swanigan up at Purdue and how how sport as an opportunity changed his life and took him from, you know, an overweight or obese eighth grader uh, to, to where he is today. And that is one of the better players in, in college basketball. So, so don't get me wrong. Sport is a great thing. I think we just always need to come back to sort of what it's about and why we start playing, not necessarily parents' uh, goals as they overlay those goals upon their, their children's goals. Now, I, I've written about this in the past. I think you and I became familiar with each other. I, I wrote a blog post or a comment. It was a few years ago and we, we got to talking and, and I highlighted many of the ills that, that come with youth sports, but it is important. We, we, and you already have, have touched on a few of them. It's, it's really important that we do hit some of the really positive aspects of, of youth sports. I mean, uh, lear learning to be coached, uh, learning to take criticism, learning to be bad at something and, and get better, learning to be a teammate. Uh, so enough of that. <laughs> let's talk about where this goes wrong. And I, I guess, Travis, let's, let's go here. Um, is there a metric? Cause I'm a metric guy. Are there metrics to know for a parent? Um, are you doing this right as a parent? Are, are you helping your child get the most out of it? Are you just looking for like psychological tells that something's not going right? 
I think it's like parenting in general. In, in many cases, you're sort of flying in the dark, flying by the seat of your pants, learning through trial and error. Um, parenting in sport is, is no different than, than parenting in other domains. And I think the better parents are better at picking up on those cues that you mentioned. And, you know, one way to do that, I think, you know, we have, we have some folks here in our lab that study interpersonal communication habits uh, and specifically between parents and children. And I think one of the things, one of the strongest assets that parents can, can learn to utilize or that can, they can acquire um, is having regular check-ins with, with their with their young children. Um, you know, it, it's really easy as an adult, as I mentioned earlier, to sort of overlay our adult-driven goals um, over theirs, right? To think about, well, what's the first question you ask when the kid walks in the door? Did you win, right? Well, we might not be saying that the most important thing to us is winning, but we're communicating that through our question of, did you win? So, so having those regular check-ins with, with your kiddos, uh, sitting them down, talking to them about, hey, what are your goals this season? What would you like to accomplish? How can I, as a parent, help facilitate that? Um, it, it seems so simple, yet I think it's a great strategy for parents to utilize. And, and that can be, it can be weekly, it can be seasonally, it, it should definitely at least be annually. Um, but I think parents really need to, to utilize that so they can try and get inside the, the brains and the hearts and the emotions of their young people and really figure out why are you doing it and how can I help? And those are two really important questions. And then at the end of the day, you know, when the game's over, rather than those questions like, did you win? How much did you score? How much did you play? Because again, now we're communicating things that we sort of deem as the definition of success, right? Winning, scoring, playing rather than questions like, what did you learn today? What did you have fun doing? Um, and how can I help facilitate you know, more great experiences for you in the future? Those open-ended type questions that really allow the child to have some ownership of the experience and kind of pull the parents along rather than the parent pushing them along. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this fine line that exists between uh, pushing your child to be ambitious with their efforts and the old giving it your best, right? Because that's a conversation my my wife and I is a high functioning athlete, or my wife is. I'm not. I, I'm I'm a, I'm an I'm a athletic supporter, as you know, <laughs> Travis. So she is a truly a great athlete, and so we want our kids to to experience that as well. Coming up after the break, we're gonna have more with Dr. Travis Dorsch. We're going to also talk about the financial ramifications of all this. That's next. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the Million Dollar Plan. Stop what you're doing and hit Pete up on Twitter at Pete the Planner. Question the right of any man. The voice his opinion is strong against any can. But then again, many men are citizens of their own little world, so they ain't really fitting in. I'm in the background blending in. Camouflaged by the scenery, but I'm a champion. Revamp the camp again. And we're back on the uh, million dollar plan. I'm Pete the Planner. We're talking youth travel sports and youth sports in general today with Dr. Travis Dorsch, the assistant professor and founding director of the Family and Sport Lab in the Department of Family and Consumer and Human Development, Utah State University. And now it's time for a break. Now, Travis, <laughs> <laughs> thanks uh, again for joining us. Uh, Travis, uh, if people missed uh, the first segment, uh, you're a former professional athlete. You study the impact of sports, youth sports on families. All right. So at our family, uh, we try to parent. We don't know what we're doing. Right, we, no one knows what they're doing. That's like a great comfort in parenting. You have no idea what you're doing. And we say to our daughter, uh, a pre-gymnastics meet, just give it your best. If you try your best, you win. And so when she gets done, she's like, hey, I didn't win. Did you try your best? Yes, I tried my best. Perfect. That's all we ask. 
don't pander to me. Are we doing it right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, again, you mentioned it's a fine line. You know what? It's, it's not necessarily conflating doing your best with, with winning, um, but it's about what you, how you define success. What do you define as success in your family and for, for your children? Is success doing your best? Is success having fun? For a four year old playing their first year of soccer, success might be picking the, the biggest, baddest dandelion on the field. As you grow and mature and have different types of goals as an athlete, success changes, right? Success becomes maybe making the high school team. Maybe it's uh, you have goals that you want to you know, you want to set for scoring or rebounding in basketball uh, or whatever it might be. Uh, those sort of tactical type goals, learning goals, outcome goals. Those are fine to have, but it's all about how the child, the coach, and the parents sort of come together to define success. So I think. Again, it's a question that, that begs an understanding of sort of developmental psychology, understanding of how children develop and why they, they pursue the goals that they do. So, um, you know, a, a little more context with, with any given family, right? There's not this necessarily a, this black box that I, I can go out in the community and talk to parents of six-year-olds and parents of 12-year-olds and parents of 18-year-olds and give the same spiel. It's, it's very different. And, and sport, it, uh, much like other domains, much like school, right? I mean, they, they don't assign grades, I don't think, at least when I was a youngster in, in kindergarten and first grade, right? I mean, it, that comes along later as you get more concerned about outcomes and you start defining success based on outcomes rather than processes and, and your interactions. Yeah, you know, I, I think back to the people I grew up playing ball with and even that I know professionally now, and there's this idea that someone can be a winner, like that lady or that guy, they're a winner. They've got a, everything they do, they win. Uh, and, and maybe they played youth sports. Maybe they didn't. A lot of times it seems like they did. Do you think that that person is a winner thing can be developed in youth sports? Or am I connecting two things that aren't related? Well, let's be clear. I mean, winners, right in quotes, the way you're using the term, didn't always win. I think largely we learn how to win uh, through trials and tribulations and errors and losses, uh, I think some of the you know some of the best athletes, some of the best professionals, some of the best CEOs, the best teachers, the best policemen. I mean, these people are these people are learning uh, through through not doing well. Uh, it's tough to learn a lot of lessons when everything always goes well. Now there are just the gifted natural people, the savants in in every category of life. But more often than not, the people you see that make it to the highest levels of their profession, whether that's sports or not, are the people that really had to kind of go through some struggles and figure it out and take ownership of some things and move forward. Uh, so I think, I think yes, you know, a great lesson, as you mentioned, for, for young, young people is, yeah, you can learn perhaps more through, through losing and through failing than you can through winning. That, that doesn't mean that you always want to fail. There's a lot of value um, and self-efficacy that comes from learning how to win as well. So these things need to happen in tandem and you need to learn sort of how to balance the emotions, the behaviors, the thoughts that come with both winning and losing. Now let's switch gears here a bit and talk about when money is at stake. Uh, I don't mean betting on youth sports, <laughs> which I think would also be a problem. I, I mean, the families that you and I both see at the ball field or the gymnastics gym. And yeah, I, I, I'm gonna be honest, I am judging a book by its cover. I'm just being very frank here. Uh, and, and uncomfortably honest, I know some folks that, that, that are paying for youth sports can't and should not afford it. And I feel creepy saying that, Travis, because it's the old, well, who are you to say? Well, it turns out I, 
I am someone to say that because I help people with their financial lives. Right. How do you get your head around financial sacrifice and right. youth sports, especially when the sacrifice isn't worth making objectively? Yeah, it's a great point and something we dove into a couple of years ago with some research that was just recently published in, in the journal Family Relations. We, we sought to investigate uh, a range of families in organized youth sport, how much they were spending uh, in that domain as a percentage of their gross pre-tax uh, annual family income. And then we looked at some of the sort of downstream effects of that, how that impacted parents' behavior and interactions with their children and how those interactions then impacted the children's enjoyment of sport and motivation to continue participating. Um, you know, I think we, we went into this with a sort of false caricature that, um, you know, the, the rich kids, excuse my unscientific language, that rich kids would have all the fun, right? The families that were spending more, the kids would play in, in, in more tournaments, they'd have better off-season coaches, off-season training. Uh, largely, they would have a better experience in youth sport. And what we found actually was the exact opposite. We were kind of surprised by that. Maybe we shouldn't have been. Uh, but we actually found that families that spent more, in many cases as much as 10% of their growth, so pre-tax annual income, uh, 10%, those types of families were actually having children that rated their parents as putting on more pressure. And as a result of that pressure, the children actually reported less enjoyment, as you might expect, and less willingness to want to participate in future seasons. So the net result of this, this sort of chain reaction is that Families who spend more, right, it's, it's all good. Parents are not trying to mess up their children. They're really trying to provide great experiences. But these families where, where parents are choosing to spend more as a portion of their, their income, those children actually enjoy sport less and are less inclined to participate in future seasons. So it's kind of this, this um, it's not really intuitive, right? It's kind of this backwards phenomenon that we that families obviously don't want to see. Now, how do we communicate that to parents? I think that's that's the hard part. It's easy to show them these data, but then to tell them stop spending money uh, is a hard thing to do. And, and actually, when we looked at these data a little more closely, what we found was it wasn't necessarily the key variable wasn't necessarily the money spent. Okay, much like other investments or expenditures that you might have, it's not necessarily the behavior of putting the money across the table, but rather what that does to your subsequent behavior and interactions. Right. So if I buy uh, if I buy an engagement ring for my fiance and, and I'm resentful that I spent that money because of whatever reason, that might cause some friction in our relationship. If I take the family to Disneyland and all I do is complain about the money that it costs to buy tickets and to fly there and to lodge us and to go to the park and to get refreshments, these are bad things. So same thing with youth sports. If I'm that parent, right, who's maybe giving my child a sideways look because they're not playing and I just dropped $5,000 to send them to a tournament in Orlando. The, the kids pick up on that. If all I do is talk about, hey, I bought you all this equipment, you're not even playing, what good is it? Okay, Kids pick up on that. So again, it's not about the spending, it's about the behavioral result of the spending. And I think that's a really important consideration for parents that you know, sport is not an investment. If I give my money to Pete the Planner, or I give my money to somebody, I want them to, to have some turnover and make me some money, right? Youth sports is not that way. I don't put $10,000 down with the expectation hey, of a college sorry. scholarship or a professional yeah. career. It's about the investment for that moment in time, for the experiences of my child during that moment in time. And hopefully they come out enriched, whether that be athletically enriched, uh, personally enriched, great friendships, learning opportunities, and personal assets that can carry them into life. All right. So we'll be back to talk more. Specifically, what I want to know is... Are we sending a poor message to our students in terms of 
uh, we're focusing so much money on something objectively maybe unimportant in the big scheme of things. Is that sending a weird message? We'll talk about that next here on the Pete the Planner Show. Hand on the beat. Yes, sir. Glass house. Yes, sir. Mr. Kinetic, Rusty Redenbacher. ATFU. Naptown. Cashing in like the end of the game at the casino. I lean so the glare of the rear view don't hit me. Swiftly through the avenues and boulevards. Old soul playing on my speakers. Old soul but young and age of boss player. Not from the Himalayas, but my fam gave me Gary Indiana game. Grew up around the country, but the mindset was there. Ain't I won't complain about a damn thing on this. And we're back here on the Million Dollar Plan. Uh, of course, as things happen here on PizzaPlanner.tv, if that's where you're watching it. Uh, Small video issue, but we're back. The audio, you don't miss. So that's the good news. Uh, Travis, um, as we look at this idea, or we're joined back by Travis Dorsch, of course, the assistant professor and founding director of the Families and Sport and Lab in the Department of Family, Consumer, and Human Development at Utah State. Does everyone make that much big a deal about your title, or am I just being excessively obnoxious? You know, I've purposefully not been telling you the acronym that our department goes by just so you could say the whole thing, but oh. but you can say FCHD it would be fine too. Oh man, FCHD would have been good to know. That's mean. Uh, so uh, all right, so here's this idea, and this is I, I wrote about this a couple years ago, and this was the basis uh, of my argument, and I don't know if there's any scientific evidence to support it. I think when you when a child sees you spending so much money and effort around something as trivial as youth travel sports, that it sends the wrong message altogether. Forget love, forget family, I think. I, 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 th I think the issue is, aren't there bigger priorities in this world than, than flying to Orlando to play high ally against some other 12-year-old? Like, that seems like an issue. Well, it's a great point you bring up and a, and a very intuitive hypothesis. It's something we've thought about for a long time. And I think, you know, with, with children and the way their brains work, they don't necessarily judge the expenditure, but what they do is they, they equate it to something that's important to the family, right? If, if mom or dad were spending money on, on landscaping or house remodeling, the child would learn that, okay, how the landscaping looks and how the house is are important things to our family. So, you know, you juxtapose that in youth sports and, 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 and the way parents are spending in that context then becomes important to the family. And, and no doubt, uh, I have a student who studies sibling relationships. No doubt there are families out there where one child is getting the bulk of the money that's being spent. And, and what message does that then send to the, tra to the trailing sibling or to the sibling who's not getting the money spent on them. So money in our society is simply uh, a measure of what we think is important. We spend it on what we think is important. And to many youth sport families, that's what's most important to them. Now, Travis, I don't know as a parent, I know you've got a, a couple children. At least. How many children do you have, by the way? Two. Yep. And are any of them in youth sports yet? Josie, my two and a half year old, is she's she's dabbling and learning and, and trying, you know, she's, she's doing some things at a very recreational level and a very introductory level. Uh, my, my son Bridger's uh, only five months old, so all he's doing is drooling and eating and, and other things. Sure. No, I enjoy all of those things. Um, <laughs> so here's been my experience. So I, again, I played a, a little bit of college athletics. I played a lot of AAU basketball growing up. 
half my family either played professional sports or uh, D1 <clears throat> level sports. And my wife was a tremendous runner, still runs with Boston, New York, uh, Chicago marathons. I mean, really good athlete. So, but here's the difference. I'm just not a competitive person. Like everyone sort of has to know this about themselves. I'm not a competitive person. My wife is very competitive. But when I watch my daughter, even at the earliest of soccer or t-ball and now gymnastics, Travis, something animalistic happens in me. I don't yell at refs. I have a very, I'm a, I have a silent policy for myself. I just don't say anything. Uh, but man, I got something moving inside of me where I'm like, I have more competitive fire about what my daughter's doing than I ever did for myself. What is that? You use the word animalistic, and I think you're not far off. And I, you know, you look at this through an evolutionary lens. All parents want their children to be successful. Uh, indeed, they want them to be more successful than they were themselves. I mean, that's part of moving society forward. And I, I think we we see the same things in in academics. We want our children to be smarter than we are. We see the same things financially. We want them to be better off than we are. Um, and, and we see it play out in organized youth sports. We want our children to be better than us. And what that does is it creates this. Uh, sort of vicarious process through which maybe that dad uh, who made it to high school varsity but didn't get that college scholarship wants his son to to earn that college scholarship or his daughter. Uh, you know, maybe that mom who who was a great uh, collegiate runner maybe made it to the Olympic trials but didn't quite get on the team now wants her daughter or her son uh, to push through the trials and make it onto the United States Olympic team. So we always sort of want that that next step uh, for our progeny. And, and again, that's very evolutionary in nature. It's not a surprise to see that. Now, where that can cause some conflict is where those vicarious goals don't align with little Johnny who doesn't care about running the Olympics but simply wants to learn more trigonometry. And that can cause some friction uh, between between dad and son or mom and mom and daughter uh, when it comes to the goals of the child versus the goals of the parent. So circling all the way back to the initial part of our conversation where I said these, these, these check-ins, these opportunities uh, for parents to, to sit with their young people and say, hey, what drives you? What can I help you pursue rather than, hey, this is what we should be doing? And that's a hard thing to think about because ultimately at the earliest stages of youth sport, four, five, six, three, four, five, six years old, you know, it's not the kid coming home and saying, hey, I want to play soccer. It's the mom and dad hearing about or finding or seeking these opportunities to keep their kids active uh, and sort of pulling them into this context. But then ultimately, as kids learn and develop and figure out what they like and what they're good at, we really encourage parents to, to sort of take those reins off and become a supporter, an emotional supporter, a financial supporter, rather than simply pulling the rope. You want to be there to, to help your kids from, from behind and let them sort of lead. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like what we're talking about now clearly is sort of the norm, that there's this idea of uh, pressure and uh, overemphasizing youth sports in comparison to other aspects of life. I feel like this feels the norm in 2017 and the years surrounding us. But what about like the 1950s and 60s? I know you weren't there to know because you're a young guy, but what's the research say about behaviors then? I mean, we hear unique stories of the past, like Todd Marinovich and his dad. I mean, those are sort of the classic stories. And let's not get to LeVar Ball and, and that whole <laughs> thing going on. Oh, please, let's just not talk about that. But are we that different than we were 30 or 40 years ago as a culture with youth sports? You know, I think this this conversation needs to be um, put in context a little bit. And, and you better than anybody know about the sensationalization that takes place in the media. And now it's not just 
you know, the CBS, uh, NBC, and ABC nightly news programs that it was in the 50s and 60s, but rather, I mean, it's instantaneous. It's 140 characters. It's, it's pictures on Instagram. It's, it's everything, and it inundates us all the time. So what we get through that is, again, this caricature of the crazy youth sport parent. And I don't know, um, you know it, 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 it's tough. I, I don't want to lead people down a path to think that all sport parents are crazy because they're definitely not. If I had to tag a number on it, a nice round number, I would say 90% of parents to 95% of parents are really doing it right by their children. But that's not what we're seeing uh, you know, on CNN and on Twitter and on these, these news feeds and on your show, for that matter. We're talking right now about, about crazy youth sport parents, even though it's not the norm. Um, and it, it's in the same way that you turn on the news and you're going to see bombings and, and attacks and political commentary. That's not necessarily the norm, but it, what, it's what sells ratings. So the underlying point is that most parents are doing it right. Having said all that, there are some parents that I think are really damaging, uh, both in the short term and the long term, their children by the way they treat, act, value, uh, and, and um, sort of look at youth sports as a context. And I think trying to reach those parents is sometimes the hardest thing. When I have community seminars or when I go work with leagues, I'm preaching to the choir. The parents that are there that are attending are the ones who want to be better, the ones that are really in it for the children. Uh, it's that dad in back who's kind of sitting like this, looking off you know, to the side, who knows his son's going to go get a college scholarship. That's the dad that I need to reach, and that's the dad that's not listening, or mom. So I think you know, really really understanding, uh, again, the take-home the take message is most parents are doing it right. Some aren't. And, and trying to figure out, this is sort of my, my career path now, trying to figure out how do I reach those parents? How do we get the data in the hands of those parents? How do we teach them how to be better parents in youth sport? I think that's the critical question. So what we're going to do, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back, wrap this whole thing up. And, and, and the questions really are going to be around the scholarship myth, right? I mean, uh, my, my sister was a scholarship athlete. I w- was not. Uh, it sounds like I've got a grudge. I, I do not. Um, but it's just an in- it's an interesting uh, just a juxtaposition of people feeling like their kids are going to get scholarships and when they don't because the kids burn out and they hate the whole thing and they don't even want to use a scholarship, which you see. So we'll talk about that next. We're with uh, Dr. Travis Dorch from the uh, from a from an institute with an acronym that studies sports. <laughs> I'm not saying the title. I'm sorry, Travis. And we'll be back right after this. Day, living through the peace of my soul, I remain whole even in the middle of the pain. Even though my life has the rain, I still remain sane, writing and creating for my life. And my pen is my sword given by the Lord, and I use it to fight the tides of restriction. Sometimes I'm conflicted by myself looking at the trees too much and can't see the forest. Enemies shall inherit the earth, and I want to inherit something, something other than the high blood pressure and diabetes. So work is what I gotta do. Stay true to my enemy and water the trees that I sing from and look out for the lumberjacks. Running with the gale force wind at my back. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. Swift and enduring, I remain calm. All right, we're back with Travis Dorsch, PhD from the uh, DFCHD at USU. Did I, did I get close, Travis? Close. We'll call it good. Travis studies the uh, impact of youth sports on families, and uh, that's what we're talking about today. Travis, uh, at the last part of our show, we always do a biggest waste of money of the week. I'm curious, uh, as it relates to our topic today, what is the biggest waste of money you see in youth travel sports? 
Well, I tell you what, um, I just saw a story come across my desk the other day that was uh, it was actually a guy promoting himself and wanted me to send this to some of my participants. And he was asking, he's a personal trainer, and he was asking if I knew any four, five, six year olds that he could get with early so he could have a lasting clientele base. And, and I would tell parents out there uh, if you have a four, five, or six year old, they do not need a personal trainer. Wow. Do you know the rate? What's the personal training rate for a four or five or six year old? I mean, at some point you're just getting paid in Cheerios, right? I mean, sure. it seems- I'm not, you know, I'm not going to embarrass this guy by saying his name, but he, he was asking for a hundred dollars an hour. And, and the, and the sad thing is he, he, he's still in business. So there are parents that are, that are doing this. Holy cow. Wait, wait oh my, I'm not, I want to ask so many questions, but I'm not out of the sake of, uh, so how how do we get our head around this? I mean, we, we can't do this in the, the time allotted on this show. I mean, we can't cover this. I mean, this is what you do for a living. You know, 50 hours a week you're studying this stuff. And yes, I just did give you 10 more hours a week in the office than, you know, maybe you spent. But I'll get a pay bump. Yeah, good. Uh, so what can people take away from this? Is If you're a parent and you have a, a child in sports that just keep your head about yourself, like what what is the takeaway? I think understanding, and this is something that we do in our, our seminars, that when we when we go talk to parents, understanding the the probabilities of, of your children getting to every level. Right? We know that of the children that are participating in in the earliest yet levels of youth sports, that about one in twenty to one in thirty are going to go on and participate at the highest level. So you're talking, you know, maybe maybe one kid or two kids on a soccer team uh, are going to go play in, in high school JV, and then maybe only one of those will go play at the varsity level in high school. Of those that are lucky enough and good enough and work hard enough to go play at the high school or club level as adolescents, typically about two to four percent are going to go on and get an opportunity to play uh, NCAA athletics. So again, of those high school kids, maybe one or two kids across four or five high schools in any given sport are going to get the chance to go play uh, at the collegiate level. And then of those, again, about one percent uh, are going to are going to get the chance to go play professionally. And in some sports, there aren't even professional opportunities. So, so don't be that dad of the six or the eight year old whose primary goal is to is to build a champion athlete that can go on and get the college scholarship or can go on and play professionally. The chances are, it's not going to happen. Now that doesn't mean that a gr- it's not a great goal for a child to pursue. But we're not hanging our hat on it. We're not spending our you know our reverse mortgage on it. We're not spending our four hundred one k withdrawals on it. Right? These are things that you can make if you have the discretionary uh, financial ability to do so. Then that's fine. Youth sport is a great context, and indeed, I'm a huge proponent of youth sport. I think it's it's a great context for learning and development. But it's not something that should be ruining relationships and ruining families and putting people uh, in the red. Final question as we wrap. Uh, so my daughter scored a goal, uh, soccer season last year. She's going to get a scholarship. Wait, man. stand by. This is so much even better than that. On the daughter who was the, 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 the girl she scored on the goalie was the daughter of a professional basketball player. So I was in my right to go up to him and say, in your face, sir, in your face. Correct. At least, at least you use the word sir. So he wouldn't beat you into the ground. But, um, I see that, you know, all joking aside, I see parents, that, that treat what they're, they get value, they get efficacy, they get self-worth from what their kids are doing on the playing field. Uh, and I think it's just sometimes so sad. And I think if if all sidelines could have a mirror, yeah. so the parents couldn't actually watch the game, but could just watch themselves 
I think that would be a valuable exercise for at least one game a year. Um, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. So people like me have some job security <laughs> in that we're trying to give parents the tips, the tools, the strategies to really try and figure this out in their own families. And and the unique thing is that e- each family is its own, is, is itself, is very unique. And uh, I think that's a really cool thing about the work I do is I, I, I don't meet two families that are that are the same. So it's up to each set of parents. It's up to each you know uh, set of children to work together to find that common ground and figure out why are we doing this? And I think that's the most important question. Tra- why are we doing it? Travis Dorsch, uh, Department of Family Consumer and Human Development at Utah State University. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a couple years and we'll have to do it uh, again. And if you're ever back in Indiana, come on by the studio and say, hey. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Pete. Thanks for having me. All right. So that's it this week uh, on the Million Dollar Plan. And I remind you, as always, I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'll see you next week. I'm Pete the Planner. If you want to be on this podcast and have Pete fix your money right, then hit us up at PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast. You heard me. PeteThePlanner.com slash podcast. Log on. This is for information purposes only. It's not the Swiss financial planning device. Consult a financial divisor. Release from Everest, the fresh is fresh, and you can call me ET or to John Tesh. Let me bless this harmonic presentation. It's amazing, so amazing. I'm the reason. Uh, salutations, I bring you love, trying greetings from a faraway land. I am the soul controller. Put the remote down and let me take control. You're now a part of my zone, so enjoy yourself. Love, trying can restore your health. I bring you greetings. Uh, Salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it? The tinkling of the keys is an homage to the little, little star. I sojourn over poetic descriptions of sound and travel to my other world. Out of this world, spaceship on my arm took me home, filled by the ink and the megabytes and the hypertext transfer protocol stronger than the Skynet and the Terminator. I push faders into warp speed, glide with ease, creating a breeze they call a black hole, event horizon, no rear view concerns. This I adjourn, and beats I burn, this I adjourn, and beats I burn, Salutations, I bring you love, trying greetings from a faraway land. I am the soul controller. Put the remote down and let me take control. You're now a part of my zone, so enjoy yourself. Love, try can restore your health. I bring you greetings. Uh, salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it?